Hi, thanks for listening to Him We Proclaim, the gospel-driven messages of Dr. John Fonville. Over the next two broadcasts, we're going to hear a message called, The Gospel Gives What the Law Demands. And what is that? Well, the gospel gives us a new heart, and the gospel gives obedience of God's law through the Holy Spirit. It's so simple, but so counterintuitive, isn't it? The message comes from our Galatians 3 series called Sons of Abraham. Let's hear part two, and the gospel gives what the law demands. And so Michael Horton, he says, it's very interesting that the biblical writers would choose the word gospel to speak about the work of Christ. Listen to what he says. The heart of most religions is good advice, good techniques, good programs, good ideas, good support systems. These drive us deeper into ourselves to find our inner light, inner goodness, inner voice, or inner resources. Nothing new, nothing new can be found inside of us. There's no inner rescue deep down in my soul. I just hear echoes of my own voice telling me all sorts of crazy things to numb my sense of fear, anxiety, and boredom. The origins of which I cannot truly identify. But the heart of Christianity is good news. It comes not as a task for us to fulfill, a mission for us to accomplish, a game plan for us to follow with the help of life coaches, but as a report that someone else has already fulfilled, accomplished, followed, and achieved everything for us. It is about God and His faithfulness to His own purposes and promises. That's what Paul's talking about in Galatians 3 here. The nature of the Gospel is a free promise of life and salvation through faith in Christ alone. Do you know what the Gospel says? This is what the Gospel announces. Listen. Live. Fear not. For all is already done. So what is this good news announced by the Gospel? Well, looking here in the context of Galatians chapter 3, Paul says this, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse because you can't keep the law, so you're cursed. If you're cursed, what is the best thing you could have? A reversal of that good news. And so the good news is that part of the good news, this isn't the whole good news, but this is the core of it, Part of the good news is the fact that Jesus in His life, death, and resurrection has removed the curse of the law from us forever and in its place given life. So let me just help you this morning if you have never thought about the Gospel. Listen carefully. This is the most important things I'm going to share with you today. Number one, Jesus in His life fulfilled the requirements of the law for us. He kept it. Matthew chapter 5, he said this, verses 17 and 18, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota or a dot. Those are little subscript 
things in Hebrew. None of the, not even a little script in Hebrew will pass away from the Old Testament Scriptures, the law, until all is accomplished. Jesus kept every single solitary law and fulfilled it to the nth degree because you can't. He did it for you. Second, Jesus in His death bore the curse of the law for us. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus took the entire curse of the law on Himself when He died on the cross. Third, Jesus in His resurrection, which we're celebrating today, and we celebrate every Sunday in this church, Jesus in His resurrection assures us that the curse has been removed. Romans chapter 4, verse 25, listen very carefully what Paul says. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. That is the cross. And He was raised for our justification. That's the resurrection. Do you know what the opposite of justification is? It's condemnation. It's being cursed. And the resurrection, Paul says, assures us that the condemnation of the law has been removed because Jesus was raised for our justification. You might be thinking, well, what does that mean? Let me help you with this for a moment because I want you to, help, I want you to understand something about the resurrection today since you've come here on Easter Sunday. When Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. He knew that His death had fully borne the curse of the law. But none of His followers knew it. Jesus died and they put Him in a tomb. And for, for all they knew, it's finished. Let's just move on. Maybe... The next Messiah is going to come. Jesus wasn't it. It's finished. Do you know what the resurrection proves and gives you assurance for? Jesus' death on the cross wasn't the end. It proves that it wasn't the end. The resurrection, Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, and in Romans chapter 4, verse 25 powerfully declares and proves two things. One, Romans chapter 1, verse 4, it says that God the Father was making a powerful declaration that Jesus was the Messiah. He was who He said He was. Second, Romans chapter 4, verse 25, Paul says that the resurrection proves that Jesus did what He said He would do. The resurrection you can think about it like this, is God's big yes. It is God's big yes to all of His promises concerning Jesus. Every single promise in the Bible is validated to you because of the resurrection. So therefore, the resurrection, Paul says, God the Father, with as loud a voice as He can possibly give, 
when he raised Jesus from the dead and created a massive earthquake that was felt worldwide, when he came up from the tomb and dead people came up with him from the tomb and the soldiers were scared to death at the tomb and they were overwhelmed at this resurrection of life, God the Father is saying, yes, Jesus bore your curse. Yes, Jesus atoned for your sin. Yes, God's justice over your life is satisfied. Yes, death has been conquered and He has overwhelmed the grave. It is no longer victorious over Him. Jesus is Lord and Messiah and King. He is no longer your judge. He is your loving Heavenly Father. You are His adopted child forever. You are in union with Christ forever. Everything that Jesus is and did is yours forever. And now a new creation awaits you forever. Yes, it is done. And it is His who He was and what He did. Yes, yes, yes. Amen. That is the good news that makes you clap. That is what we are trying to get into people. And so when you start to feel that and you hear that and the music cranks up, you're going, praise God. i got to jump and shout and sing and clap and dance. I've got to be like the people at the tomb who took off and ran and said, He is alive. That is you. Every promise to you as a believer is yes. Yes. And so if there was no resurrection, every single promise in the Bible would just be no. No. You have no hope. You have no future. You have no life. You have no purpose. You have nothing. You have no future to look forward to. You have no present to live for. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if it's not true, let's just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. The resurrection is the hinge to the gospel. The whole gospel turns on the resurrection. Your faith as a believer rests on a historical fact. An historical fact. Eventually one day, we'll bring in the world's best apologist to do an apologetic conference on the historical facts of the Gospel so that you can see that your faith rests not on some mystical formula, but on historical fact. And you know what that historical fact does? Augustine said you're curved in on yourself. You know what that good news does? It reaches way deep into your heart and it rips out that heart of stone and pulls you out of yourself and gets your eyes looking straight out and upward to Jesus for the first time. And you've forgotten about yourself and you're looking at Jesus given to you in the Gospel and you go, Lord, News, ordinary news, you know, we love Fox News or whatever. That Fox News can't get you off yourself. It is not going to pull you out of yourself. 
The gospel is so powerful, it has the ability to pull you out of yourself and on to Jesus and then lovingly give your life to people. Only the gospel can do that. But if there is no resurrection, there's no assurance of a saving work. And so B.B. Warfield, listen to what he says, what would enable us to say he was able to pay the penalty he had undertaken? That he died manifests his love and his willingness to save. It is his rising again that manifests his power and his ability to save. We cannot be saved by a dead Christ who undertook but, not, but could not perform and who still lies under the Syrian sky, another martyr of impotent love. To save, He must pass not merely to, but through death. If the penalty was fully paid, it cannot have broken Him. It must needs have been broken upon Him. The resurrection of Christ is thus the indispensable evidence of His completed work. It is only because He rose from the dead that we know that the ransom He offered was sufficient, the sacrifice was accepted, and that we are His purchased possession. Here's the third aspect of the Gospel, and this is very quick. The Gospel gives what the law demands. The law teaches us what to do, but it gives no strength to do it. But Paul says, simply announcing this good news is the power of God unto salvation. See how foolish that sounds? The power of God unto salvation. Please listen carefully. Do you understand what the greatest drama is for Easter? Do you know what the greatest in reenactment of the Passion play is for Easter? It is celebrating the Lord's Supper. That's the only one that God has ordained and instituted for the church. You look at that and you go, eating a wafer and drinking some juice, us the power of God unto salvation? <laughs> It is. You think the Gospel made much sense to the children of Israel when God had told the children of Israel, um, now, we're going to bring down these walls of Jericho, but you can put three chariots side by side and have a chariot race, not fall off. We're going to knock those walls down just by you marching around, blowing some trumpets and shouting. <laughs> you know how silly that sounds? God's deliverance never makes sense. Do you think God's deliverance at the Red Sea as the children of Israel were backed up to their backs at the foot of the Red Sea with the whole Egyptian army on the other side, nowhere to go, and Moses looks at you and you go, stand still. <laughs> what do you mean stand still? <laughs> Here comes the whole Egyptian army. Here's the Atlantic Ocean. Stand still and watch 
the salvation of the Lord. The Gospel never makes sense. It looks weak and crepid and unable to do anything, and yet, when you declare it, it is the power of God unto salvation. Listen to Ezekiel 36, 26-27. The the Gospel gives what the law demands. I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new heart. This is God speaking. And a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put My Spirit within you and cause you to walk in My statutes and be careful to obey My rules. It is God through the Spirit of God through the announcement of the Gospel that gives what the law demands. True obedience to the law is possible only through the power of the Holy Spirit. So you say, well, how do you get the Holy Spirit? Same way you get faith. Galatians 3.2, Paul says this, let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Do you want to receive the Holy Spirit? Believe the Gospel. Do you want to have faith? Hear the Gospel. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing, not doing. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. The Word of Christ in Romans 10 is the Gospel. How do you get faith? You hear the good news. How do you increase and sustain your faith? You hear the good news over and over and over. Deeper and deeper. How do you grow in sanctification? It is by increasingly having the Gospel driven deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into your being till you begin to come to some semblance of the unsearchable riches of Christ. And the deeper it goes, the more you obey. The deeper it goes, the more you love people. The deeper it goes, the less selfish you are. The deeper it goes, the more you read your Bible for the right reasons. The deeper it goes, the more you witness to people, to your friends and your neighbors. The deeper it goes, the more you love your wife. The deeper it goes, the more you love your neighbors. And on and on and on. St. Augustine understood that, and so he prayed this simple prayer, and this is what you should pray. Let him give what he commands and command whatever he wills. That's the Gospel. As we bring this to a conclusion, let me ask you some questions as we just wrap this up. The law commands us to love God perfectly, more than anyone or anything else in the whole world. So let me just ask you a question. Can you honestly say that you've ever done that? Even if you've done it perfectly your whole life, but stumbled one time, you know what James says? You're guilty of breaking the whole law. The law calls us to love our neighbor more than ourselves. So think about this. And this is very convicting to me this week. Because I have five kids, so listen carefully. Can you honestly say that your daily habits, schedules, and interests, and concerns are always directed to the welfare and good 
of your wife and your children. That's what the law calls you to do. And if you don't do that, you're guilty. In our most lucid moments, (laughs) we must admit that we have never once in our life ever treasured God above anything else and everything else. And that we have never loved our neighbor, our wife, children, friends, co-workers, strangers perfectly. So you, you go, well, what is a Christian? <laughs> Listen carefully. A Christian is a person who confesses, I have not loved God perfectly. I have not loved my neighbor as I should. I have broken God's law. Yet, notwithstanding, because I'm trusting in Christ, I'm righteous. And then the enemy of our faith comes and gives these accusations and questions and goes like this. You really think you have a right to say something like that? (laughs) Look at you. Look what you do. Look what you think. Look at your imagination. Look at those inward desires that you have. Look at that anger, resentment, covetousness, bitterness, jealousy, bad attitudes. Look at your life. Don't you know that the law teaches that if you keep the whole law, but if you stumble at one point, you're guilty of breaking the whole law? How many of you ever felt those accusations? You know how the Christian responds because of the Gospel? Yes. I am guilty of breaking the whole law. Yet despite this fact, I am righteous in Christ. Because the Gospel says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Where is the condemner? God doesn't condemn me. He justifies me. If God justifies me, and if God's law doesn't condemn me, who is to condemn me? How can this be? The Gospel says because Christ Jesus is the One who died. And more than that, listen, who was raised? Easter. The resurrection. Who is at the, and where is this One who was raised? He is at the right hand of God who is indeed interceding for us. Your accuser, you're guilty. Jesus, your defense attorney, he's not guilty. He's mine. That is not self righteous boasting. That is extreme humility. The Christian does not look within himself to find reasons to say, I'm justified. The Christian always looks out of himself straight to Jesus and says, it is Jesus and Jesus alone for why I am righteous. So against every accusing, assaulting voice from within and from without, a Christian trusts like Abraham, Paul says in Galatians 3, just like Abraham, he believes the promises of God. He trusts in the faithfulness of God and believes this good news. And because of that, God says, you are justified. That is a Christian. 
Come on down. Listen as we conclude. Listen. Listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. Like Abraham, you must never look at yourself again. And it, and, it, and it all that is so true of you, you are justified in spite of all that. It is what God has done in Christ. Look to that. Rest on that. Be confident in that. Hold your head up with boldness. Yea, I say it with reverence. Go even into the presence of God with holy boldness and in the full assurance of faith. Not boldness in yourself, but in your mediator, in your great high priest, and the one whom God raised from the dead in order to let you know that your sins were dealt with at the cross once and forever, and that he now looks upon you as his dear child. Thanks, John. The message you just heard is called The Gospel Gives What the Law Demands, Part 2. More from the Sons of Abraham series is coming up next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at paramountchurch.com. I'm Josh Montez. Thanks for listening and join us next time.